0: You are listening to The Recovered Therapist, brought to you by FreshOutOfPlans.com. I'm Jeannie Griffin, and I'll be your host. Instead of focusing on labels, diagnoses, and psychobabble, we keep things honest, simple, and hopeful so that you can grow personally and spiritually. Thank you for joining me. Let's talk about your relationship with alcohol or other mood-altering, mind-altering substances nope, don't turn this podcast off, just listen. So when somebody wants to discuss the way you use chemicals or mood-altering substances, that usually means they start off with, I think you have a problem. Okay, first of all, people who use substances, abuse substances, or are dependent upon substances don't have a problem With alcohol don't have a problem with cocaine or prescription drugs or any of that that is their solution okay so let's take a look at how you use mood altering chemicals now don't immediately assume that if I take a look at this then I am have to declare myself an alcoholic or an addict or any of that okay Let's take it in two parts. What's my use and my relationship with these mood altering chemicals? And then once you see that, then you can answer, okay, what am I gonna do about it? What do I wanna do about it? I'm not gonna do a damn thing about it, okay? So people use substances and they have a glass of wine with dinner. They take uh, even an opiate after they've had surgery. They use chemicals, okay? People who don't like the way the chemicals feel will usually stop using a prescription or not drink too much or something because they don't like the feeling of being out of control. Now, the people who use substances as a way to, quote, take the edge off or um, be one of the crowd we'll go ahead and and use and perhaps even abuse substances. A lot of times it's, well, I want to be one of the crowd. Well, uh, I had a bad day at work. Um, It's normal, it's natural, it's no big deal. So instead of seeing, looking at the use by itself, let's look at when you use and what are you using it for? Okay. Are you toasting the bride or are you using toasting the bride as an excuse to get a little tipsy because that's what people do at weddings. Okay. Now, anytime you use a mood altering chemical, especially alcohol, it is water soluble. So it goes everywhere in your body that water does or the fluid does. So when you pour a glass of um, water or coca-cola and rum or uh, whiskey and water or whiskey and soda you can't tell where one starts and the other one stops so it totally mixes now you know if you pour oil and vinegar in a jar to make salad dressing you can tell where the oil is you can tell where the vinegar or the lemon juice is it's separate okay, but alcohol goes everywhere in your spot, so it, it crosses the brain and that's where it goes to the old midbrain or the reward center and says, oh, that that's nice, that's nice. That's where dopamine is talking to your brain and saying, yes, this is pleasurable. So there's what we call a dopamine spike. Now that alone is not a bad thing, but once someone starts using chemicals, that dopamine spike gets greater and greater and the brain recognizes it. Oh, this is nice. And then another brain chemical called called glutamate comes down and says, remember this. Remember everything about this. Remember the sights, the smells, the sounds, the everything, the situation. Because you need this. It's a way to protect you. So that's when the brain flips in some people, and that old safety system of how to keep yourself alive and, and the brain's mechanism of telling you what is important gets out of whack. And so after a while, the brain flips over and says, you know what, remember when you used to use this? I liked it, so go get me some more. And the brain is saying, I need more of this. I need more of this. It is a solution. And to some extent, the the problem is we don't know how long that period lasts. It's very individual in everybody. But at some point, it finally says, go get me what I want. And do it any way you can. Because you need this for survival. That's when a brain becomes addicted. Now hear me the brain becomes addicted. You don't get addicted because you're a bad person or you have a weak will or the teacher didn't let you carry the flag in fourth grade. It is a biochemical response. And so the brain, we didn't know this years ago because we couldn't see inside the brain. And so as a result, somebody who became addicted was stigmatized and still today, There is great stigma among people who are ignorant, that means uneducated, about what causes somebody's brain to become addicted. So if you're struggling out there, there are many people you can talk to and a lot of assessments you can take to see just exactly where you are on the use, abuse, dependence mild moderate or severe scale with the use of chemicals the problem is you need to make sure you go to someone who is specializing in addiction a psychologist who specializes in addiction a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in addiction a certified alcohol and drug counselor a licensed chemical dependency counselor a medical doctor that specializes in addiction don't just go to anybody because many of the other Training programs never even talk about um, addiction and they're, they don't specialize in it. So make sure you go to somebody who understands this process. Now, that's a scary, scary deal, but you can go and get information and say, Let me, t- I want to take a look at my use with this, my abuse with, with this product or this um, chemical, whether it be cannabis, which Today's cannabis is very different than the old-timey cannabis. And we have many, many more young men who are having a psychotic break or a psychotic episode on cannabis. So look at your relationship. How do you use it? What does it do for you? Not just the use, but then we need to take a look at the thinking. The thinking of somebody who is in a relationship with a substance is very different than someone who can take it or leave it. Now, the people who always say, oh, I can quit anytime I want to, my ears perk up because I'm not sure that's true. So there are many ways. And if you you need to, if you want to contact me and I can put you in touch with some assessments that you can do. Now, once you do that, then you can decide, what am I gonna do about this, if anything? OK, I have had clients that take the uh, assessments and say, oh, my gosh, OK, what are my options? I don't want to have this kind of relationship with a mood altering chemical. It's affecting my relationship with my wife or my husband or my children or my job. Or I just it brings out a person in me that I don't like and I don't want to have this thing determine how I behave and what I think in life okay once you want to do that then you can decide what am I going to do about it and there are a lot of different things you can do about it okay doesn't immediately mean that you got to trot off to a treatment center it may mean that you try to quit for a while but you don't ever try to quit without somebody who knows about addiction because one person that drinks a ton can quit and have a few discomforts. Somebody else who drinks less can quit and go into DTs, which are delirium tremens, could really put themselves into harm's way. And okay, when you start, tar, excuse me, try to quit other substances like Xanax or any of the benzodiazepines, you do not do that alone. Depending on what you're using, you may need a medically supervised detox. Now, there are people who can... Go into a medically supervised detox or have doctors help them get off of the chemicals and then they can determine whether that's all they need or whether they need to go into an outpatient program, um, a 12-step program, um, partial hospitalization program or whatever. So don't get ahead of yourself, okay? Don't get ahead of yourself. If you are a family member listening to this, I know you've been thinking about how it applies to your loved one, but also ask yourself, how does it apply to me, okay? How does it apply to me? Um, I always looked at, at alcoholism or addiction through the lens of the people I loved that I knew had it, that were in much worse shape than I was. But then the day came where I had to look at my own relationship with mood-altering chemicals. And mine was very different than a lot of other people in my family. Okay, So the thinking that goes along with the problematic use of uh, chemicals goes something like this. Oh, I can quit anytime I want to. Nobody will know if I use here. And so uh, they just cause so much trouble And when I drink in front of them. So I'll just drink a few before the party, or before they get home, and uh, that'll be fine. Social drinkers don't hide drinks. Social drinkers don't sneak drinks. It's a sign that there is trouble in paradise. Now, what kind of trouble? You can have an assessment and figure that out, so don't try to do it alone. Uh, Family members, nagging does not help. Pointing out all the faults does not help there are places and people that you can talk to and books that you can read that help family members get their eyeglasses off the person they're worried about okay so sometimes the person who has this let's say this this bothersome relationship with mood altering chemicals because it bothers people in the family and it just messes things up from time to time. The person who has that relationship doesn't want to look at it honestly. And they are looking at their chemical like their best friend, so they don't want that taken away. But the family members, many, many times, more times than not, will be just as focused on the person with who's focused on the chemical. So, you know, we say the addict may be Focusing on their chemicals, but the family member may be addicted to what the fam the their loved one is doing. So we want to get the focus back on in an appropriate lane. In other words, stay in your own lane. Family member member can see what am I doing that I am either helping cause more problems in this relationship or I'm obsessing and focusing on their behavior and how can I turn my eyeglasses to focus on my own and let their behavior happen and feel the consequences of their behavior. There's a lot of problems around that because you don't want to be embarrassed, you don't want it to take a financial toll in your uh, life, uh, many things. But there are also places where you can go and get help. Okay. Again, don't get into a relationship with any kind of professional that doesn't understand addiction or the use and misuse of mood-altering chemicals, because you'll waste a lot of time, energy, and money. Okay, So remember, summary, that if your brain becomes addicted or dependent upon a mood-altering chemical, that is not your fault. That's just like a brain saying, okay, I'm not going to metabolize this sugar the way a typical body would, and so therefore I have this disease of diabetes. Or my body can't, for some reason, metabolize a bee sting, and so I become allergic to bees or allergic to strawberries or allergic to alcohol or allergic to cocaine It's a body response, okay? And then secondly, there's a different thinking that goes along with it. You know, I I say the difference between people who who use chemicals and need them, who are addicted, and people who aren't, is simply that if you are not dependent upon chemicals and you go to the dentist and they do surgery or you have surgery of any kind, you come home with a 10-day supply of opiates for painkillers, the person whose body doesn't really want this will say, oh, I'm not gonna finish that. No, I don't want a pain pill. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like feeling out of control. But the person whose brain loves it and likes it and thinks it needs it will say, I feel out of control all the time, but when I take this pill, when I take this drink, when I take this this substance of some sort, It takes the edge off, and I get an in-control feeling. So it's the glue that makes things hold together so that I can function. If you need information, if you just want to learn more about it, please contact me, or you can look lots of places. You can email me as well, and I'll give you uh, resources. Thank you for listening to The Recovered Therapist, where we keep topics honest, simple, and hopeful. I love you. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. Until next time.